0: tap into the power. Many times we, uh, we don't. Now I'm thinking you probably know how to run a chainsaw, but many times in our spiritual lives we don't tap into the power. Uh, like that guy trying to cut a log without the engine running, uh, it seems sometimes impossible to, uh, to live a holy life. And I've been talking to you for several weeks out of uh, Romans and we've talked about this whole thing about how we don't necessarily have to be uh, living in sin all the time. But uh, that we can live a victorious Christian life, a life uh, that, uh, that, that where, where God has taken care of this whole problem of sin. Uh, but a lot of times we go, I don't know that I can really, you know, make that happen. Um, but, but you can't just give up because we are really truly supposed to live a holy life. So, but the secret is to tap into the power. Uh, obviously, and just to bring you up to speed, if you haven't been here, um, or, uh, if you've been sleeping or whatever, we've been walking through Romans. Uh, literally, this is like, what, ninth, the ninth week, I think. And we're about halfway done. That kind of gives you, you know, by, by October, we should be about through, um, just kidding, it'll be before that. But uh, uh, we will, we will be. Uh, we have been walking through Romans. It's a letter, right? We remember that that it's a letter that the apostle Paul, this missionary, uh, Paul was a missionary to and planted churches throughout the that that region of the world. Uh, he uh, wrote to this church in Rome. He hasn't uh, met a lot of these. He's met some of these people, but he hasn't ever been there and, and been a part of their church yet. This church is known for their faith, and so Paul is writing to them just a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we've been walking through, and literally they, these are foundational truths. You see the foundations of our faith, of that's kind of been the, the, the theme of this, because we've been walking through some of these things that, that maybe we take for granted, maybe we don't talk about a lot, maybe uh, but maybe we have these kind of different views about it. It's great for us to look through this great letter to find literally what we should be building our faith on. So last week we uh, we had that kind of weird passage uh, from Romans chapter seven where Paul's talking about all the things that he wants to do and he doesn't do and all the things that he shouldn't do but he does them anyway and and all this uh, and it's kind of you know almost a tongue twister kind of thing and he he uh, he, he doesn't want to give in but but uh, but he does and then we can kind of relate to that because uh, we, at some point in our lives we've all struggled with sin where where we, we don't want to give into it but we find ourselves giving into it and Paul wraps up that section at the end of chapter seven in frustration. Uh, expressing how irritating it was when he was stuck in that stage in his relationship with God. Remember, we said that 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 uh, that's where we are when we when we come to faith in Christ. We're forgiven. But we're not really holy yet. Sin is no longer reigning on the throne of our. Remember, I said uh, sin uh, is no longer reigning, but it still remains. Uh, sin is still hanging around in our lives. Uh, it's. It's. Uh, we, we use the illustration of of uh, driving in a car and how uh, we're driving uh, the 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 driving through our lives. Uh, at some point, we pull over, let Jesus in the car, but he's not driving yet. So so we're still struggling with sin. We're still in charge. We're still going where we want to go. Sometimes we listen to Jesus. Sometimes we don't. But as long as we're in that situation there will always be a wrestling match between us and what god wants or between between our will between sin and between and the the holy spirit now some people say and we uh, told you this before some people say well that's as good as it gets that's that's the experience of of living a christian life we we want to do good sometimes we give in uh, oh well god forgive me and then we move on uh, certainly that's uh, th- that happens but but uh, uh, to me, that would kind of be like trying to cut the log without firing up the chainsaw. I, I think it's pretty depressing to think that God loves me so much that, that he sent his son for me, that he has He has uh, the power to forgive my sin. He has the power to give me the promise of heaven. Uh, he's forgiven me. He's redeemed me. He's justified me. We've talked about all those words, and, and and he does all those things, but then he doesn't have the power to set me free from sin. That's kind of a depressing thought. We resign ourselves to the notion this is the, this is the best I can do. If we do that, then we're diminishing the power of God in our lives. The problem is not, oh, I'm just human and so I'm doomed to a life of sin. Uh, the problem is that there is a foreign force called original sin, the sinful nature within us that needs to be rooted out. And God's plan for us is not to continue to struggle with sin, but to be able to overcome it through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has provided the way. It says, "In in uh, in through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have deliverance." Uh, not only has He paid the penalty for our personal sins, but His death and resurrection is enough to root out that original sin inside of us. So we can have victory. We can be delivered. Romans 7 ends with that great proclamation. He, God, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 8 jumps right in, continues that theme as it talks about how that happens through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8. Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. If there's a verse to memorize, this could probably be at the top of your list, uh, at least in the top 10. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has set us free from the law of sin and death. Uh, Verse 2, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own... Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life. And peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, your spirit, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. A lot of stuff there. The Holy Spirit is kind of the key player, not kind of the, is the key player through this through this whole passage. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 15 times in the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 8. 21 times throughout the entire chapter. No other chapter in the Bible mentions the Holy Spirit more than Romans chapter 8. We're going to spend uh, uh, several weeks on right in Romans chapter 8. It's a it's a it's a pivotal part of this letter. The Holy Spirit is how we can access the power of God working in our lives. Setting us free from sin. I, I want to set things straight. Uh, first of all, it's not that the Holy Spirit God created the Holy Spirit at some point in order to to uh, to, to come and fill us. The Holy Spirit has always been around. Um, maybe you think, well, it was after Jesus left, then the Holy Spirit came, and and so maybe at some point, uh, and some people believe this that 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 God the Father has always been around, and then when He needed to send Jesus, He created Jesus, and uh, and then Jesus lived, and 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 then when Jesus left, God created the Holy. Spirit. Well, that's not how it worked. The God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were all present from before the beginning of time. Uh, If you you look at, at John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1, you see that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all present at creation. From before the beginning, God was. God is. Uh, and, and so the whole, it's not that the Holy Spirit just kind of happened on the scene at some point, but uh, the Holy Spirit has, has been worried. It says that, that uh, in Roman in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, that, that He is uh, hovering over the waters at creation. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit, and we don't have time to look at all those verses, but, but He's, He's there empowering people for, for, for holy work. He's, He's anointing people. He's, He's helping the prophets to prophesy. He's doing, He's empowering them for special things. Now, the, the difference is Jesus came and when he left, he said, uh, when I leave, the, the, the father will send a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And certainly on the day of Pentecost, that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit was, was poured out on the church. And so it's not just that the Holy Spirit shows up at certain times in order to empower certain people for certain things. But now the Holy Spirit is ever present with us and within us. And so, so he is a remaining presence in the world and in our lives. And Paul describes here in Romans chapter eight: the Spirit dwells within us; he makes his home in us; he lives in us. In, in verses nine and eleven, uh, in other words, he he fills us, and that's that's the secret sauce, so to speak, of the, uh, the the power of God over sin in our lives. I've got a little prop over here. Some of you have been eyeing this because you're awful thirsty, um, but I've I've got a. Uh, a vase, and it's full of, it looks like it's full of nothing, really it's full of air, right? How do I get all the air out of that? Well, I could try to dump it out, but it's still going to be filled with air. I could take a vacuum cleaner and try to suck out the air, right? Um, but uh, nature abhors a vacuum, and so pretty soon that glass, psh, right? You science teachers know more about this than I. The best way to get all the air out of here is to fill it with something else, right? So if I don't want air in there then i can i hope i don't spill this then i can fill this up with water all the way to the top now there's a few bubbles in there and so that's where the uh illustration breaks down i guess oh not quite okay there we go whoever cleans up afterwards you're going to get spilled on no more air in there because it's been filled with water just a simple illustration of what happens when when we want to get rid of the sin in our lives. It's not just that we suck out a sin here or there and, and, and hope for the best, and uh, it, we, we, it, it doesn't work that way. We get rid of the sin in our lives when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when he uh, lives within us. There must come a time in our lives, if we want to escape this whole wrestling with sin thing, uh, this... Uh, uh, wash, sin, repeat kind of existence where we just have to... Oh, I'm just going to give in to sin and it's nobody... Oh, I don't want to do that, but I end up doing... Oh. Be filled with the Spirit. How to escape that wrestling with sin is being filled with the Spirit. Maybe... I don't know. We don't necessarily talk about it all the time, or don't don't mention it a lot. Maybe it's a new thing to hear about about that. That that there's this next step, so to speak. That yeah, I come to faith in Christ and I'm I'm saved, right? Those that's some of the old church words. I'm born again. I'm redeemed. I'm I'm justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Uh, Jesus has has paid the penalty for my sin, and so I apply his his death to my life, and therefore I'm forgiven, right? And and a lot of times we we stop there, and we you know yeah we try to live a holy, but at, at some point uh, we uh, we we have to see that there's this there's this next step. Now, some people might say, "Well, well, I, what didn't I when I when I was saved? Didn't I receive the Holy Spirit? Isn't that the whole point? Jesus lives in my heart. We talk about that a lot. Yes, that's exactly true. Uh, so some people might say, "Well, okay, uh, I'm saved. Maybe you received some of the Holy Spirit, and then when we're sanctified or made holy, then then we're filled with the Spirit, we it, it completely." completely uh, through and through, that's not necessarily what, it, what happens either. When we're saved, we get all of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is there. Uh, when I'm saved, I receive all of the Holy Spirit. When I'm sanctified, he receives all of me. It's as if, let's say there were several rocks in that, uh, in that uh, vase over there, and the, Holy Sp- the, the water could only fill where the rocks weren't. It's until we get those rocks out that the, that the water can fill into where it it, uh, it could fill the whole vessel. As we grow in our faith, there comes a time if, if we're continuing to grow closer and closer to God and he's pointing out things that, that oh, you need to work on this and, and boy, that's bad and, and we need to, yeah, you're still struggling with that and we come to the point where God just take everything. It's when we Give the keys to Jesus and let him drive, and we get in the back seat, right? We continue to mature we're not perfect, but He has all of us. We're committed to him one hundred percent now maybe maybe it helps to uh to look at a picture, a diagram. I hope this isn't too too uh like lecturish I guess, but uh, but're we're, we're going to look at a at a picture along the way, kind of of our of our lives. Go ahead and go to that next slide so there's there's you see you you need a tan, but it's, uh, you're doing okay. Uh, so this is, uh, let's say the green is kind of, uh, it represents God's grace. We are living in the grace of God even before we know it, right? So this is before we come to faith in Christ. We're, and this line then is our lives. And we're, we're heading down the path of our lives. Go ahead to the next one, Tim. Uh, at some point, hopefully, we reach this point where we are saved. Now, the Bible uses a lot of terms. We talked about it in Romans a lot of different ways, uh, that, that, uh, we're, we're saved or we're justified or, or, uh, we're, we're given new birth. It's, it's, it's born again. Experience where where this is also called initial sanctification, or or we're, we're we're beginning to be made holy. We've we've turned a corner. It's a significant significant thing. We've gone from living life away from God to living life with God. He has forgiven us uh, at this point. If we uh, if we died right then, we'd uh, we'd go to heaven. We have the assurance of heaven, and God has forgiven us for our sins. Um, in in this sense, go ahead to the next one because several things happen at that point. So right at that point, uh, that's salvation. That's that's what God does does for us, right? Uh, it, it deals with our personal sin. Remember I talked about personal sin and original sin. So personal sin are the sins that I commit and, uh, and, and God has forgiven me for those things. I've, I've, uh, it's, and it's a, it's a change of our relationship with God. Instead of being an enemy of God, now I've become a friend of God. I've become, I, I, I have this relationship with God and we change the relationship. So it's what God does for us. Uh, it it's, uh, deals with our personal sin and it's a change in relationship. All right. Now go on to the next one. We continue to grow in grace. Gradual sanctification. We're continuing to become more holy. We're, we're, we're taking steps to grow more and more like God. Uh, you know, it's, we're going uphill, hopefully. Uh, we're, we're making, uh, making progress and God is dealing with things. Again, like, like I said, he's pointing things out. We're, we're, we're growing in grace. We're, we're, we're continuing to learn more. We're continuing to give ourselves to God completely. And then at some point, we do. And that would be the point of entire sanctification. Now, this is a lot of big words. Uh, in the membership class, I usually, when I do all these big words, I usually break into my Cajun man. And those of you who have been through that know that. With, uh, you know, it's, First, it's salvation and justification. And there's a little redemption. But now we're into entire sanctification. Sorry. As you can tell, I'm not really from... The- Asian country um, anyway, so entire sanctification um, we uh we have we have reached the place uh, and this is a, another we you know church has talked about it as a second work of grace or a time when we come to the place of I've given everything over to God, I'm sick of this whole wrestling thing, I'm sick of this whole I'm dealing with all this and and God you've got all of me uh, yes, uh, God, you have done so much for me now go ahead now to to uh, compare with salvation. Now, in sanctification, it's what God does in us, not for us, but but in us. It, it deals with original sin, not just personal sins, the things that I commit. But now He's rooting out that original sin, and it's a change. It's a it's a, it's a complete change of nature. It's not just changing my relationship with God, but now I, I've literally rooted out that sinful nature, and and God has done this thing within us. Now, some say some some would uh, go on to this. Point and say, "Okay, so I'm saved and I'm sanctified." And then some people think the next step is petrified, right? And we, we get we get stuck in our ways. And and sometimes the the people that would say they're sanctified are the crotchetiest people I've ever met because they think they can't sin anymore and they're just anchored in there. And and you're doing it wrong and I'm doing it right. And and it turns it can turn into that, but that's not that's not at all what what this is. It's not that we become completely holy and and uh, and and we start glowing and have this little thing over. You know. It's, it Go ahead to the to the next slide because you see that happens, but we're continuing to grow, and so there's continual sanctification. We're begin, we're continuing to grow closer and closer to, to to God. It's a constant process of growing more like Jesus. Just because I've prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to come into my heart, just because I've prayed a prayer and turned the keys over of my life to God and say, "Take me wherever you go," uh, I'll say yes whenever you say jump. I'll say how high. Uh, it, it, we've we've done that, but there's still progress to be made, right? They're still maturing. They're still developing. Uh, we could you could uh, look at any tree out uh, outside, and and uh, we we planted a tree out here, out front here, a couple of years ago. That tree is a great, wonderful, awesome tree. But it's not mature yet. It's, it's, it's great in what it does and it's, it's a tree and it's great and, and there's nothing wrong with it at all. But it's going to keep growing and maturing and getting more and more and more like the tree it's designed to be, right? That's the same in our spiritual life. There there comes a point when we have this entire sanctification where we've turned everything over to God, but there's still progress. They're still maturing. They're still developing. The, the, The difference is that I've given myself completely to God. So when he says, hey, we need to work on this, you say, of course we do. Let's do that when when something comes up and you go oh man i messed up there it it's not oh i'm going to fight god and hide it it's oh i messed up there how can i make this right there's this there's this uh, complete and utter dependence and yielding and and surrender to god and his ways in our lives so it doesn't end there go ahead one more uh, and that's glorification uh, or um if you're from the south it's glorification and um that is, uh, that is heading to heaven, right? Uh, we're not sinlessly perfect until we step through the pearly gates. I guess we could say uh, that, uh, that that there is there is a progress being made until we get to heaven. So it's not that we come to this place where we're sinlessly perfect until we uh, we we enter paradise until eternity. I don't know if that helps or not. It has helped me many times over the years to just see it on a uh, on a graph. You know, that's that's the AOL guy. I don't, I don't know AOL is a long thing, but a long time ago. That's Did you get that? Yeah. That's the AOL guy. Uh you've got mail. Um but uh anyway, for for our purposes here today, that's you. It, it helps me to just kind of see that okay, well this is maybe how it's supposed to work. And and that, that that there really is this process that that I need to be involved in. Um you know, I I guess you can draw pictures with theology. That's, that's that, that helps me to understand some of the things that, that, that Paul's talking about. I, I believe with all my heart that Paul's describing this here in Romans chapter 8, uh, this experience that God desires for all of us to not just be saved from, from sin and then muddle through life, but to be filled with the very Spirit of God himself. So that when we live by the Spirit, he lives in us. Another illustration that, that may help, John Wesley used the image of a house. To describe our life with God. And he said that justification or salvation was like the door... And it was the entry point where we step across the threshold to that new life. And Wesley talked about repentance being the porch. We get up on the porch, we repent, and then we're saved as we step across the threshold. And then Wesley would say that the house itself, all the rest of the house, is sanctification. The place where we live out our salvation. Maybe that helps to to explain it a little bit. Now, just to... Bore down on that a little bit. Newlyweds know that that, that crossing the threshold uh, is a is a momentous occasion. It's a it's a special time, and it signifies a dramatic life-altering event. We're starting this new life together. But but standing in the doorway for hours, relishing that moment, would be a little weird. And most of us wouldn't be able to hold up that long, right? Or, or to do it and then to go back and then step across the threshold again and then go back and then step across, do that over. That would just be really weird, right? And it, 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 come on, let's get on with life here. Let's, let's uh, move in here and start our lives together. After entering that home, the bride and the groom settled down to the task of building their new life. Together. And that's another illustration of our spiritual lives. The moment we enter into a relationship with God is a very significant thing. It's the beginning of a whole new life. But if we just suggest that, that salvation or justification or forgiveness of sins is all there is, or distress that to the neglect of living a holy life distorts the gospel. It would be like stepping across the threshold over and over again, or just stepping there and standing there without living life with God. That's why Wesley gave strong attention to the life, not just the event of salvation. It's living life that's possible only through the Holy Spirit. Living a a holy life uh, is certainly a lot of times people talk about and the church has talked about a long time. The whole, uh, living a holy life means following certain rules and, and and things and it's so much more than that. Certainly there are standards to follow, right? God has standards. We talked and in, in, in celebrated the fact today that God is holy. He is other. He is uh, majesty. He is he is uh, just beyond what we can possibly understand. God is holy, and so God has holy standards. He is righteous, and he desires us to be righteous. A- And you and I, we can't meet those standards without the Holy Spirit. But when we yield ourselves to God completely and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill and control us, then He gives us the power. He develops his character within us. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and say, you take over, then he begins to change our character and we become more loving and, 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 and kind and, and patient and, and, and all the rest in that list in, in, in Galatians chapter 5. God, God, through the Holy Spirit, empowers us. He turns the power on helping us to to meet those standards through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Theologian F.F. Bruce described it this way, God's commands have now become God's enablings. So he has has commanded us to do certain things, but now he's enabling us or giving giving us the power to actually be able to do those things. There's a poem that was uh, written literally a couple, three centuries ago that puts it this way. To run and work, the law commands, yet gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. So the standards are given, but then the empowerment comes to be able to meet those standards through the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like the guy with the chainsaw, right? Uh, I have no hope of being holy uh, on my own power. That guy had no hope of cutting through that log on his own power, even if he used those teeth. But when I turn on, plug into the power of the Holy Spirit, then he can enable me to be and to do the things that he wants me to be and to do well, what's our, what's our part in all of this? Um, you can just sit back and magically let God just uh, pour his power within us and we don't have to do anything. Well, that's not how it works either. The first thing we have to do is surrender. That's that's where we go, God, you've got to, that's the giving the keys to, to, to your life over to God. Uh, he's the one driving, we're not. Uh, we're gonna allow him, we're gonna trust him, we're gonna, gonna depend and rely on him. We give him complete and total access to our lives, holding nothing back. And it's only when we come to that point in our life that he can truly fill us not before once we have surrendered to that then we also need to do our best to live according to the spirit that's obedience Uh, we, we obey what he says he says we're going here you say okay you don't reach over and grab the wheel and say no we're going over here now we still have to choose for God and for the good all the time there, there's still temptations. Uh, the, the devil is still alive and active, but, it, but it, it takes, and it takes effort to resist him. But things get easier. The fur you, further you go with God, the easier it is to resist those temptations. And with His Spirit living within us, we have the power to resist. Scripture says that when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. A lot of times, it's just that we're not resisting very much. It's the Holy Spirit living within us enables us to resist, gives us the desire to resist. So we need to obey what he says. We also need to, uh, and this this passage says, uh, uh, we need to f- uh, set our minds on the things of the Spirit or live according to the Spirit. We have a responsibility not to dabble in sin. We have a responsibility to fill our minds with the things of God. We have a responsibility to spend time in Scripture, and, and pour over it, study it. We have the responsibility to spend time in prayer, to, to get to know God more to uh, to to spend time with God's people and to 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 rub off of each other so to speak. Uh we we have the time we have the responsibility to worship him to to uh to to access this relationship, build this relationship. The the best way to avoid sin, sinful things is to fill your time, fill your life with the good things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's in in uh, at the end of Philippians. Those are the things we need to be focusing our time on and our attention on and setting our minds on. That's, this passage says we set our mind. If we're living according to the spirit, we're setting our minds on what the spirit desires. If we're living according to the flesh, according to the sinful nature, we're setting our minds on what the sinful nature desires. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you talking about? What are you participating in? Are you setting your mind on the things of the sinful nature or the things of the spirit? We have a responsibility to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We'll be slipping back into sin if we set our mind on sinful things. We become, verses 7 and 8 says that if we're setting our minds on the sinful things, we're going to become hostile toward God. We won't submit to Him. We cannot please Him, it says. But if we, if we have the Holy Spirit, He is controlling us and the opposite is true. And, and we please God. And so we have to have a Holy Spirit mindset. Focused on his desires. So then that means that we're just perfect, right? That, that everything we do and say is, uh, is awesome and great and uh, everything is perfect. And we've, uh, we're, we're checking off all the boxes and doing all the right things and everything's great. Uh, does it mean that we'll never make mistakes? Of course not. But re- remember, we, we said last week that there's a big difference between sin and mistakes. So we have to draw that line, right? Uh, Sin, John Wesley uh, defines sin as a willful transgression of a known law of God. Uh, A willful transgression of a known law of God. A a mistake is neither willful nor known, right? I I, I didn't mean it, and I didn't know it was wrong. So if if I didn't mean it, and I didn't know it was wrong, then we can't categorize it as sin or be held responsible for it because we didn't intend it. I, I, I hesitate to tell this story, but I will um because it 's all about me, and uh anyway, I was nine or ten i don 't know eight, nine, ten somewhere in there, and I was riding in the back seat of the car with with some church friends it 's important to know that this was a church trip, and I was with church friends in the back seat of the car, heading to camp somewhere i don 't know we were driving down the road and uh you know I'm i'm I was just this this innocent holy kid back then in age nine or ten <sighs> joke um anyway. Two of these friends, so I'm in the middle, two friends, we're driving, I don't know where, church trip, church friends, we're hanging out, and uh, these guys decided that they would uh, would challenge me, and they would dare me to stick up my middle finger to the car behind us. (laughs) Now, being the holy, righteous child that I was at the time, uh, I didn't know anything about this form of communication, and so... (laughs) So I said, sure, what's the big deal with that? And I raised my hand high and flipped the bird to whoever was looking. My friends laughed and and uh, couldn't believe that I'd done that. And I knew at that point that I'd done something wrong, still didn't really know what. They didn't tell me. I don't think they probably even knew. They just knew it was bad. And, you know, a couple years later, I found out what it actually meant. Now, that was not a willful act of defiance. Right? I I hadn't raised my middle finger with the intent of cursing or belittling someone in the car behind us. I I didn't even know it was wrong. So according to Wesley's definition, that wasn't a sin. That's a mistake. Uh, Sure. Should you do that? No. It's a wrong thing to do. But did I do it on purpose? No. Did I know it was wrong? No. So I, I can't be held responsible for that. It's a, it's a mistake, not a sin. I was sorry when I, when I found out I, it was, it was wrong, but not, not categorized as sin. As long as we live in this life we're going to deal with the fallen sinful world around us and there will be times when we participate in things that are wrong the the uh the, the mistakes will be made but mistakes aren't sin we have to draw that line first so so if you're saying well I'm not going to be uh you know I'm not going to be this uh, this perfect perfect person well yeah you're going to make mistakes there will be we live in this world we will not be free of that until we reach glorification where there is no more sin and sin has been completely eradicated But does it mean, uh, through, if, once I'm entirely sanctified, does it mean that I, that I cannot sin, that I will never sin again, that I'm saved, sanctified, and petrified? It's all locked in place, right? Well, that's not true either we're, we're all tempted but when you're tempted here's here's the difference you know we've we're, we're saved and and we're forgiven of our sins uh we're still dealing with that uh original sin living within us uh when when the holy spirit fills us it gets rid of that original now now when we're tempted we don't have that sin inside of us controlling things but uh, the temptations are still without, and there are still temptations to be faced and to be said no. It's just a whole lot easier to say no, because we don't have this indwelling sin within us. We have the power through God and through the person of the Holy Spirit living within us now. Uh, as we submit to his leadership, it's possible to resist temptation. You don't have to keep living in sin. Uh, Will, will you make mistakes? Of course. Will, will there be times when, when uh, you're tempted to sin and you go ahead and... It, probably, but you don't have to. Uh, the, you're not controlled by sin anymore. You are now controlled by the Spirit. Well, there's, there's a lot of theology bouncing off the walls here this morning, but it really is foundational and perhaps different than, uh, than, than what a lot of us maybe grew up learning or have thought about or, or learned in the church but Paul, in Romans chapter 7, he's just exasperated. He's thinking back to that time when he'd, he'd come to faith in Christ and Jesus had appeared to him on that road to Damascus and, and, uh, and uh, he was blind and the scales fell off and God says, I want to use you, and yet there's still this struggle and, and he's going, oh, there's things that I'm, I'm doing that I don't want to do and there's things that I should be doing and I'm not doing it. No, who can, who can deliver me from this body of death, he says. Is there any deliverance? Is there anything better than this? Romans chapter 8 cries Yes, there is. Verse 1, there is now no condemnation. Verse 2, in Christ the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 6, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Verse 9, you are not controlled by the sinful nature but by the spirit. Verse 10, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Verse 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of this spirit who lives in you are we doomed to a life of sin and always falling back no we don't have to we can come to that place of full and complete surrender and say God fill me completely That caused Paul to exclaim even after all of his frustration uh, at the end of of chapter 7. In verse 25 of chapter 7, he's, he's already experienced that. And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord.